podcast has bad words. <laughs> you were going to tell me about... Yeah, there's a few things I want to tell you about. So, yeah. Should we so, say hi to the patrons? Hi, patrons. Thanks hello, so much patrons. for your support. I don't know what part we were just recording there, but uh, here, I'll start my timer. Okay. All that was bonus material. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, a few things, Ryan. Uh, we, we are going to get into some questions. We're going to talk about needing less. Uh, also, I've got this article from CNBC. I'm just going to put a link to it in the show notes. It's mentioning all the businesses that are going out of business right now. Yeah. So I wanted to bring that up first, and then we'll get into I want to talk to you about uh, – here, I want to write this down. David Freelander. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. So, Ryan, I got this comment from – uh, Nilofar on Patreon. So uh, here she says, I love TK. I say he or she because there's no avatar picture. Put your picture on, on there. Uh, that yeah. way. Get can, a face. Yes. It's funny. Someone asked us uh, advice on a blog. Uh-huh. Over, you sent me the text. You're like, oh, they asked for oh, yeah. advice on a blog. Jessica. Yeah. Somebody went to high school with. And yeah. my, <laughs> I wanted to respond back and be like, get a picture on your Twitter account. That's number one <laughs> yeah I mean, so here's the thing uh we don't respond the only place i respond to anyone who's anonymous is on patreon so mm. you're you're all patrons which makes sense yeah in fact i had to tell Je- jessica and i had to have this conversation because last week she she sent me this this tweet of to to respond to and i responded but then i looked at the picture and it was a picture of uh like phoebe from friends and i'm like get out of here I, you have to vet these first because yeah. I don't respond to people who use you know, sunsets Anonymous. or pictures of their dog yeah. or an egg or, or just a, the letter Q or something, uh, J, whatever, like you see on YouTube all the time. It's whatever their first name is. If it's Quentin, it'll just say Q there. Right. Um, anyway, I... I only respond to people who you who aren't anonymous, right? Because that I wouldn't if you were in person and you had a bag over your head, mm-hmm. I wouldn't respond to you either. Exactly. So I recommend just take a selfie, put the picture up there, mm-hmm. and that way we're communicating like two human beings, well, yeah. face to face. Well, when someone is anonymous, they're not being themselves. Like they are, they're they're acting like someone. Because what I what I hear you saying is like the person with the bag over the head. If they come up to you and started yelling at you or started asking you a question, you would be like, <laughs> "What are you doing?" Right, exactly. And so I'm not saying that about this person here because I think I don't think people on Patreon are intentionally being anonymous. No. I just think they haven't taken the time to upload a picture because they support one or two or three creators yeah. on Patreon. Yeah. By the way, support some other creators on Patreon if you get the opportunity. There are some really great podcasts out there. On Patreon, you can go through and, and find the ones that, uh, or, or not just podcasts, videos. It's a great place to explore and find new creators. Yeah. And you can fall in love with some of them. You know, we've had Jamie Kilstein on here several times. He'll be back That's on great. later this month. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, a, he's a great Patreon support, uh, Patreon creator. Anyway, um, your question here, or comment and then question, I guess, more of a, uh, just a, a comment. You said, I love TK. He is awesome. I can't agree more. I listened to this episode twice. I have to say I completely disagree with Joshua saying he wants, uh, I think he, she, he or she means businesses. Uh, they said consumer like JCPenney or blank to go out of business mm. in the long term. So, yeah, uh, you disagree with me saying JCPenney or blank or ellipsis going out of business in the long term. And then this person says, I believe in freedom, democracy. I don't want to change the economy, society. I'm changing myself. My way of life is not the only way that's right. Well, I do agree with that last part. 
I'm just going to read my response and maybe you and I can riff on yeah. it real okay, quick, cool. Ryan. So my response is this. Thanks for the feedback. Allow me to clarify. What I was trying to communicate had nothing to do with a particular company like J. Crew or, or J.C. Penney or whomever, even though yeah. those are the ones we, we talked about. Yeah. Rather, I'm attempting to point out that I want us to change. That is, I want humans to evolve away from consumerism toward conscious consumption over the course of a generation. So what we were talking about on that episode with TK is I wanted this to happen, but not over the course of three months. Right. I wanted it to happen over a lifetime. Not at the expense of 40 million people going out of work. Right. I wanted to see a gradual transition. If we transitioned away from a JCPenney's toward a, you know, local shops and more intentional consumption, because we all need some stuff. Consumption is not the problem. Consumerism is the problem. And that's what I was trying to, to communicate here. Uh, I go on to say in my explanation here, what uh, that would mean the gradual shift away from big box retailers toward a mostly local local slash regional economy and supply chain. I say mostly there because I, I, it makes sense to have a global supply chain with some things, a national yeah. supply chain or, or um, a continental supply chain with other things. But it also makes sense to focus more locally for all kinds of reasons. And I go on to illustrate that here. In the long run, that would also be better for our environment as well as our economy because an economy predicated on never-ending growth isn't a healthy one. It's a house built on quicksand. And I say there's more, I wrote more on that here at theminimalists.com slash economy. There's an essay there called Stimulate the Economy Like a Minimalist. And it goes into to discussing how minimalists aren't actually interested in stimulating the economy. Right. We, we want to strengthen the economy through intention. Uh, because what we're seeing right now is a overstimulated econom economy mm -hmm. just collapses like that. Yeah, you have one month, uh, a couple weeks, honestly, of of a of a decline or a mishap, and all of a sudden, psh, hundreds, not even hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of millions of people lose their jobs. Yeah. Right, and many of those jobs go away forever. <clears throat> we're going to be talking more about that on this episode, I think. So uh, I, I end this by saying an intentional economy, on the other hand, may not be as muscular without the steroids of the global supply chain pseudo-slave labor, but it's a far more sustainable and ethical option. Mm. And, and I think that's really what I was trying to communicate. Yeah. No, I knew what you meant. Um, I think a lot of things, I don't know, man, the context just gets thrown off sometimes with, you know, with what people hear. Uh but I, I certainly knew what you you were you were meaning by that, and I totally agree. I want to see us get further away from mass consumerism and more focused on community. And I think part of that is by supporting independent businesses. And like you said, there are some great side effects too of the environment being treated better. I'd love to see us get away from plastics. I would love to see all the plastic factories go. I'd love to see the oil business go out of business. Mm. Um, but yeah, not not at the cost of forty million people losing their jobs. No, you're talking about a gradual transition away from from these things right. over over a protracted period of time. Right. And also, you and I are open to new evidence as well. If you present to us, I'm still waiting for this essay from Andrew McAfee and Wired. Maybe Sean, we can do a search for that because he is an environmentalist. He's a MIT scientist, and he seems to think plastic might actually be the answer to many of our environmental problems, mm. as long as we can be good stewards 
of that plastic. And the problem is right now, we're obviously horrible stewards yeah. of our planet and we're polluting the oceans. We're not actually recycling it. And so uh, it seems to me that because plastic is so easy to make, uh, that it may actually be a solution to some of the environmental problems we have if we're responsible with the way that we make it. Right. And so there's a nuanced argument there, right? Where it's like the way we're doing plastic right now, it's a big problem. We need to change it. Yes. Do we change it away from no plastic or do we, ch do we change it toward no plastic at all? Or do we change it to a way that maybe plastic is a better alternative to other things that actually hurt the environment more? I don't yeah. know. I'm open to more evidence uh, to be determined, I suppose. A couple updates, Ryan. Uh, less is now. We just got the the second cut. We're turning in to Netflix. Oh my God! I just watched it. I, I wanted to share this with the patrons, not uh, publicly yet. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt just sent it over to us yesterday. I, I got up early at like you know, four or five this morning and started making notes on it. And I saw your note. You think it's three hundred and thirty percent better? I did the math. <laughs> And uh, it, I haven't seen it yet. So we th we're saying this is the second cut, but it's really like the fifth draft of, of the film. Oh, yeah. If you include that original filming. Yeah. 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 And so uh, however we want to look at it, this, maybe the fifth the fifth time we've sort of looked yeah. at this material. Yeah. We've incorporated some interviews into the film, some expert interviews, also some amateur interviews. Uh, did really great. Uh, and this is the time where we started cutting some stuff, some things we felt were essential We've, we've started to remove from the film because we realized they weren't essential. And not only were they not essential, they weren't adding value the way that we hoped that they would. And so yeah. Matt started cutting some things. And, and I, I had a few questions about a few of the things he cut and asked him to maybe put them back in. We're going to be filming a few additional things as well. Um, I've got an interview that I'm actually uh, headed to Nashville tomorrow to film. And uh, you all will figure out who that is really soon if you can't figure it out already. But <laughs> go ahead and, and we'll get give you a hint. It's not a country music star from Nashville. That is absolutely true. <laughs> this person does not play music. And uh, so, yeah, I'll let you think about it. Maybe comment in in the. I don't want to. I don't want to say it's done until it's done. And so, you can feel free to leave a comment uh, on Patreon under this is. post. Yeah. Uh, let us know. Let us know what you think, who it might be. Make a guess. And, uh, yeah, but these expert interviews that we've done so far, I mean, they are amazing. Ryan, awesome. they are, oh, my. I, I'm just like, you can make a separate film with just these interviews. Just take me and Ryan out of this whole right. thing. It feels like we, we could do Less Is Now Part 2 yeah. or some extended. Like, uh, I'm telling you, the one I did with Erwin McManus is my the the best interview I've ever done. Awesome. The best interview I've ever done period and it had nothing to do with me i mean my questions were okay but he was just every answer was amazing he's on it man he yeah. I, yeah I really enjoy having him on the podcast and just having conversation with him he's a very very bright individual yeah very smart yeah so good uh and then you know we were incorporating some new some new b-roll into the film and and it's just really rounded it's balanced and i feel like it's been propped up by these additional elements. So it's it's centers around this talk that Ryan and I give, have given a bunch of times in a bunch of different cities, except that talk has been really propped up by these other elements, by mm -hmm. to make it an actual film and not just, it's not a TED talk, right? Yeah. It, it is a film that incorporates and weaves in parts of of our story mm -hmm. but it's not just us. Yeah. And we interviewed all these amateurs, The not, I mean, we're calling them amateurs, but they're just people who had some sort of profound epiphany, realization, action from our first film. 
They saw our first film and they did something about it. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, uh, man, it's really rounding out. I can't wait till the final version comes out. Hopefully it'll be around Christmas. That's the date I'm shooting for. Mm-hmm. Um, they're shooting for January 1st. And so we're, we're still we're still talking about that. You're six days apart. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but it, six days might make all the difference. Too. Yeah, could do. So, well, and I might be wrong. They might be right and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, also, uh, Love People Use Things, third draft of that is due at the end of this month. And that's going really well. I, I appreciate the perspective. I, I'm noticing a few. There are two places where there's really um, friction. Yeah, that's a good. Disagreements. Good, yeah, both. Contention. Um, uh, maybe it's just different points of view, mm. and and I'm okay with that. But I'd rather my point of view be in the book than the editor's point of view. Yeah. Um, and, and when I say mine, I mean, it's really our point of view because, uh, well, there's two. The, 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 there's a chapter in there about the truth, and so this book is a relationship book, but it's really about the seven essential relationships that we have in our lives. Now, one of those are relationships. How we think about relationships. Relationships with people. Yeah. But we also have a relationship with stuff. The book starts out with that, the relationship with our stuff. Yeah. Because that's kind of where minimalism starts. And then there's the relationship with truth and self and values and money and creativity. And then finally, people, once we sort of fix those relationships, we're able to actually contribute to the people around us in a way that uh, makes our life more complete. Yeah. Makes our life more joyous. And... There are two of these relationships in particular, Ryan, that there's just different points of view between us and the the editor of the book. Um, the first one is the truth. Yeah. A- and truth is brutal. That's my point. Yeah. It's raw. It's unedited. It's not tidy and pretty, and <clears throat> it's hard to talk about. Yeah. And that's sometimes why you have to joke about it. And so there there are some there's some relatively. Uh, blue humor in the first chapter. It's almost all my mom's humor, though. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I present my mom a different side of my mom, where you really get to meet her and, and understand her and and what she struggled with, but also the humor she used to get to the truth. And the I'm actually learning a lot about the editor. Uh, his name's Ryan, and and we have we have two editors. We have an assistant editor. Her name's Cecily, and uh, Ryan, the editor, he. He's not o- as open about like just sex as I am. Mm. There's nothing gratuitous in the book at all, right? Right. Uh, it, but there are moments in there where we talk about sex in a way that is not shaming, and and uh, I, in fact we use it to illustrate like uh, a lack of of of, sh- of shame or the fact there's too much shame in our culture and what shame means versus guilt and and, and so. I am trying to find a balance because no, I don't want to intentionally be titillating or overly sensational. That's not what I'm trying to do. And so I appreciate that perspective to, to strip it back. And, and sometimes it's best for the action to take place to the right of the frame, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. You can allude towards something and it's more powerful than showing the actual thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that truth chapter, it's very raw. And... I don't want to lose the rawness because I think if you lose the rawness, you sort of, you lose some truth there. Mm. You don't lose the facts. Difference between truth and facts, right? But there's an essence there that I think you lose. And the other one, it was actually surprising to me because it's the most, I think, cut and dry chapter in the book, the relationship with money. Mm. To me, it's just mathematics. Yeah. 
and and by the way, we so in there we we have some different points of view from people like Chris Hogan and Rachel Cruz and and Anthony O'Neill, and I I got to to interview them for the book, and and man, it's just math to me. Mm. But the editor is like, well, you 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 have to th- uh, not ever. Some people need debt, and and I'm like, no, nope, not willing to not willing to say that anyone needs debt, not yeah. for a car, not because it's against my value system, right? right? Uh, I don't think there's any. Th- there, I think there's no such thing as good debt. Yeah. And so ultimately, we're just gonna, this is the chapter that we and the editor need to agree to disagree on right because i'm not going to compromise and say well i think it's okay for you i'm going to make an excuse for you here's the three things you can go into debt for yeah i mean that's just a slippery slope i mean it and it's not to meant it's not meant to shame people who have debt it's really about encouraging people to live as debt-free as possible yeah there you know what i might have a mortgage one day like if if i'm ever in a place that i feel like i'm going to be there for five or ten years Maybe I'll go, you know, put 30% down and get a 15-year fixed mortgage and if I can pay it off early. Uh, but I'd rather have no debt than that mortgage. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's the only time that I would make an exception for non-emergency debt, by right, the way, is right. a, is a mortgage. Now there are emergency debts and I, I do nod to that in the book and I acknowledge that hey, medical expenses are out of control, we should probably have some different regulations to make sure that people don't go into crippling uh, debt because of medical expenses. Mm-hmm. And I, the editor helped me with that a little bit and, and I'm appreciative of that. But I'll never sit here and say, yeah, it's okay to go ahead and get a car payment. Right. Because it's not. Right. And and you can't convince me otherwise at this point. Well, you could. I'm open to new evidence. Right. But I've every new evidence I've experienced at this point, and so many people have thrown excuses at me, they've been really good excuses. Exactly. And that's a problem. So yeah. that's an update. That book should be out. I'm pushing for Valentine's Day because love people. Yeah. Um, they're That's pushing good. for March, so oh, okay. we'll see. Uh, it's 2021, by the way. So we're talking one-two punch here of uh, less is now, love people, use things. Yeah. Are you ready to go on the road again, Ryan? Of course, man. I'm always ready to go on the road. Uh, yeah, but we're going to – obviously, we have a, a quick tour before that as well. We're doing the Less Coast Tour yeah. in November. Some great guests for that. And if you're a true fan on Patreon, you'll have access to the live events even if you can't attend the event. We're going to film those for you and record the audio as well. Do we have a list of cities yet for Love People Use Things Tour? No, no, not yet. Yeah. I guess it's do a little premature. Ones you, do, do you really want to go to? Dude, I want to go to Hawaii again. I think we I think we should end the tour in Hawaii. And I really want to uh, we the only state that you and I have not been to uh-huh. is Alaska. Yeah, we so we've so for those of you listening, we have toured or been to 49 states. And we've been to almost every province in Canada too. We haven't been to PEI. Yeah. But I think we've driven no, we haven't been to New Finland as well. Yeah, PEI, you got to like Yeah, that's way east, right? No, that's New Finland. Oh. Or New Newfa- Newfoundland. 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 The farthest east we've been is Equ- is Equifax. <laughs> Halifax. Oh yeah. Halifax. Our tour stop was actually in Dartmouth, but yeah. Halifax, which is what province is that? Nova, Nova Scotia. Scotia. But yeah. PEI is east of Nova Scotia, right? No, no. You're oh. thinking of Newfoundland. Okay. Newfoundland. Yeah. Uh, Newfoundland. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. There's. A, I would love to get to both of those provinces. Yes. We haven't been to. We've driven through some others that we haven't done tour stops in. Mm-hmm. Uh, my ultimate fantasy. You know, it's funny on the minimal episode, Ryan. You were two ta- guys at once. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's my nightmare. <laughs> 
No disrespect, if that's your thing. <laughs> um, What's your fantasy? Uh, uh, this is not a sexual fantasy. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, Bex is starting a podcast, and I'm going to do some episodes with her. Um, Sweet. And uh, I think we'll dive into the sexual fantasies on that. Nice. We'll, we'll, say, we'll save it for that. <laughs> um, anyway... Um, my fantasy is at the end of this, like we were talking about this on the, on the minimal episode, how like, I feel like we're done. Haven't we covered everything? But no, we haven't because new questions continue to emerge. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes it's the old answers that work. Sometimes it's new answers that work. Mm -hmm. But, um, my fantasy was kind of like, all right, we hit episode 300 of the podcast. We're, then we just, we walk away. We're done. We do a final tour everywhere we've never been, which is, uh, a title I, I stole from our friend Austin Hartley Leonard, who mm. no longer makes music now, sadly. God love him. God, he made some of the best music ever. Yeah. Uh, his EP is a perfect EP, and it's called Everywhere I've Never Been. Now he's got a wife and kids. Yeah. He's all responsible. Responsibility ruins everything. <laughs> um, and so... Uh, everywhere we've never been, like, and I want to go to places like this is your fantasy, New Newfoundland, everywhere we've and, never been, and, yeah. and PEI, and uh, like we've never done a tour stop. We've driven through, but we've never done a tour stop in New Hampshire or Delaware or New Jersey or Wyoming. We've never done a tour stop in Wyoming. Well, yeah, sort of, but not really. Um, we did the word tasting tour in Wyoming, but neither oh. one of it was one of the two stops. Neither one of us were there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it, it counts for so asymmetrical press. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah our yeah, publishing company did. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, I would love to do to do that, and and uh, there are a bunch of other places that we haven't done tour stops that we've driven through. Kansas, for example. What Banff we, again. <laughs> I, I did the Banff. Oh one, yeah, you were there. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, that was there were as, two people there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or eight people or whatever. Like it was right. a very small thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are so many places that like uh, random places that we've we've been to the state but we've never been to the city like we've never done a tour stop in peoria or south bend and you can do that with a book tour in the ways you can't do with like a theater tour right right because you and i couldn't fill a, a thousand seat theater in peoria no but we could fill like a 20 person bookshop <laughs> right yeah <laughs> and and those are some of the most fun like yeah. some of my best memories are from 2014 when you and i would just pull up to the bookstore and 25 people that were there, 40 people were there, 70 yeah. people were there and we just made it work. Oh dude, I'm actually looking forward to doing this right because a, we've got a publisher who's going to like help us do all this, but yeah, you got to realize we had to do it all on our own, but dude, like the Indiana, I'll never like, I still feel guilt from Indianapolis when we had that in 2014 yeah that basement venue <laughs> that held 70 people and like 500 people showed up in the rain waiting yeah. in line oh my god i mean umbrellas it was it literally like it took a a fish and loaves miracle which happened yes to get people uh, uh seated and like to yeah for us to i mean we did a double header that night but thank goodness for that theater well, right across the, the street. There was a yeah, theater across the street. They let us borrow yeah, the theater. Like that they night. just came over, like, what's going on? Do you guys need a venue? I mean, unbelievable. Unbelievable. And we didn't have any money. Yeah, I mean they didn't try I mean, that was it really was a miracle. Like that. Right. Uh, we had no money. Like I know. so so for, I want you to understand uh, you and I never I mean I'm saying this to the person who's listening to this. Ryan and I never had an intention of having a single like team member working with us. Our grand hope was like there was a point where Ryan was still working in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. I had left my corporate job, and it was like I'm maybe close to making enough money to pay for me. 
is there a way for, in my $500 a month apartment, mm-hmm. is there a way for both of us to not have a job? Yeah. And, and we made it work. And then 2014, when we went on that tour, it was like our fourth tour, by the way, yeah. uh, we would, if we sold enough books in a night, we could stay in a hotel. We, by the yeah. way, share a hotel room. And sometimes it was like, oh, we have our smoking rooms with one bed. Okay, All right. that's better than sleeping in Ryan's Toyota Corolla. Yeah. And so we would do that. Or we would sleep on the floor or couches of uh, readers who would oh show up God. to the events. <laughs> you remember we were staying with Sarah? Sarah's our PR uh, person for yeah. those listening. Uh, we stayed with her in Toronto. And it was literally hardwood floor. And then she had like a like an antique love seat uh-huh. that we would take turns sleeping on like we were there for three or four nights and, and it was and like it's your night for the love seat right it's my night for the hardwood floor and the love seat was worse than the hardwood floor because oh it was so God. short right yeah dude and so ryan we uh i mean and it sounds glamorous that like you're a pr person yeah we were paying her more by the way she gave us a giant discount because we couldn't afford her right we were paying her more than we were making ourselves she took by us far. on yeah but uh, yeah which uh, I'm, i mean i don't know if we want to like actually say the number but it wasn't for, as PR goes, she charges like 15% of what everyone else wanted to charge us, and it's because she believed in us, and that is why we chose her. Yeah. It's because she like she had heard of us, and she's like, oh, I would love to work with you guys. Yeah. So she made it work. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to see if we can get her on the, the next oh, book yeah. as well. Um, oh, yeah. I talked to Celadon. Who, uh, Celadon McMillan is our publisher for this, mm-hmm. and they're willing to try to work something out. Cool. Um, and, I mean, she's, she's phenomenal. And... Yeah. Uh, but my point is that these things that seem glamorous, like we did it all ourselves for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, our first three tours, it was us sitting at the kitchen table together, just calling up bookstores or coffee shops or wherever. Yeah. Our very first tour, we didn't even tell the venues. We just showed up. Oh, yeah. Do you remember this? Well, like, yeah, because yeah, because we could get away with that back then. Because we'd have eight people show up. Right. We, it was a table for eight, please. Right, exactly. Uh, and and that worked until it didn't. Until it didn't. Yeah, in San Francisco, we did this bar, and like 70 people showed up yeah. because Leo Babalta was there. Right. And all of a sudden, it was like, uh-oh. Yeah. Um, and, and so all about you, you adjust, is my point, and... You have to do it yourself until you absolutely need to bring other people in. That's been the beauty of all of this is like we still have a relatively small team, but they're about, you know, we say the minimalist. People think it's the Josh and Ryan show, but it's not. Now, there's about a dozen people between Podcast Sean and Jordan No More and Jess Ness Williams mm-hmm. and... And then, we, of course, we have Jeff and Dave who do design and development for you – know, Dave does all our book covers and designs the website. Jeff does development for the website. Um, by the way, we did that on our own to start, like figured out how to cobble together a WordPress website and start you – know, d- we designed things on our own. I designed our logo. You know, it, it was just cobbling things together to – make it work and now yeah now like with the documentary people are like oh ryan your documentary is so great it's like uh, it's not really my, i'm just kind of the monkey in front of the camera <laughs> and we have people who can cobble things together immaculately now <laughs> yeah 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 and, and uh, you know i would i would say that matt is part of the team right he yeah. certainly doesn't work for us but we work together we're team mm-hmm. members and he's a genius when it yeah. comes to filmmaking i mean it's just a true genius and what he did with that first film we literally had a zero dollar production budget. Yeah. And 
we made that film. Now we had to spend some money in post production for music and and color grading and a few other things and, and money that we barely were able to scrape together. But for all intents and purposes, we had zero dollars to make that documentary. Yeah, I mean uh, that was Matt's idea. We hit the jackpot with Matt, meaning if it wasn't for him, I mean the, we wouldn't have had that documentary. And uh, yeah, he's just he's just he's one of the most talented people. On yeah. our team, yeah, and in a weird way, he had a jackpot with us too because together. Course, oh yeah, yeah. Of we course. we made that's a good way of looking at it. We made that thing together, mm-hmm. uh, and by the way, we argued a lot about it, especially through the nine iterations before the iteration you actually see that's mm-hmm. public facing. Yeah, and that documentary led Matt to be able to start his own YouTube channel, and he started mm-hmm. attracting all these people. Hey, I'm the director of this this yeah. documentary that yeah. that you've seen, and. I'm so proud of his trajectory, what yeah, he's done with YouTube, it. and and I mean he is he's an artist. Yeah, and, and when I say the shows. jackpot, by the way, I mean like the creative jackpot. Oh, absolutely. Like he's, <laughs> we, yeah, we we hired him to do a book trailer back in 2013 for everything that remains, mm-hmm. and um, I said, reminds me, remind me, I want to talk to you about, uh, remind me to talk to you about everything that remains off mic. Okay, I want to talk to you about something. Okay. Um, and then maybe we'll have an update for patrons later. Uh, let's let's keep going here, Ryan. So, do we really want J.C. Penney to go Wait, out of business? Hold on, I want to hear the David story. I'm going to get there. Oh, all right. Yes, we want J.C. Penney to go out of business. They were going to go out of business anyway. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, it's not I, not to be callous. Uh, I don't care about J.C. Penney. I care about the people who work there. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted was a slow transition, so people could find time to get se- to get a severance and find a new new job and maybe do their own thing, a side hustle or whatever. But we're learning through this time that job security is a misnomer. Now, I've been saying that for 11 years. Mm -hmm. Job security is a misnomer. Yes. And you learned that. You got laid off in 2011. Yeah. From a very, very, very secure job. Yeah. Now, you may have had a, a bit of a hand in that, but it goes to show you that there's no such thing as job security if you're beholden to someone else. If you're answering to someone, your job might feel secure, but mm-hmm. that's just the thing you're telling yourself. It is not the security blanket that makes the child secure. Right. You know, what is, is it, it's the strength and the resilience. And the way you get that is often by doing your own thing. It doesn't mean yeah. quitting your job today and, and starting a blog. It means maybe having some sort of side hustle. I think Chris Gilbo's book is a great resource for that. And his, his Side Hustle School podcast is a great resource for that. Yeah. Having a side hustle so that you are not fully dependent on someone else. Also, um, I'll get into David in a second here, Ryan, but uh, mm-hmm. we were watching from our window the protests going on. And uh, Ella, Bex, and I went and, and joined one of the protests. And... It was you know, fascinating. We we made these signs, and Ella made this tiny little sign for her Barbie doll. <laughs> said "Black Lives Matter" on it, mm-hmm. and she, we like taped it to the Barbie's hands, and she was holding it up. And it was it was great because she was very scared of the protest at first. Who Ella was? Yeah, because um. the, uh, the exact quote, which I tweeted from her uh, Twitter account at Ella Sandwich, if you want to follow her nonsense, um, the exact quote was. Protests are like parades, but with shouting. <laughs> and 
and th- there's some truth to that. Yeah. You know, as long as they're nonviolent, there is, you know, they're shouting there. And so I think she was kind of scared of that. And I found out that day that a- Ella is an anti-natalist. Are you familiar with the anti-natalist movement? No. The people who wish they had never been born. <laughs> she is. She's anti-natalist. Well, she said. She said. She, the, the thing. It was so profound. <laughs> she. She said. She said. Um, I wish I wouldn't have been born yet. Oh. Because she was scared. That scared oh. of the protests. Yeah. So we we brought her down there to one we knew that was going to be peaceful, and uh, she got to participate. Mm-hmm. Hold up a sign and do the chants and mm-hmm. and walk with people down the street and and. Start to understand, not just intellectually, because she asked questions about it. I mean, she's seven, but she got to understand viscerally. She got to be steeped into the pro- in the protests in a way mm-hmm. that helped her understand an emotional level, and I thought that was really helpful. Uh, and I think she overall seemed to enjoy it. You know, she still she was most afraid of the police, which is unfortunate because. Mm-hmm. They weren't normal police, you know. They're they're in riot gear. Yeah, they're in riot gear. National Guard. The National Guard was there, and they had all of their assault weapon looking guns and the paintball guns and all of the. And she was like, "I don't want to get shot." Oh my god! Because she saw someone on the news get shot with paintballs or rubber bullets. Yeah. So yeah, she was a she was a bit afraid of that, but she also wanted to go participate in the cleaning up of of the neighborhood, which I thought was That's was awesome. really cool as well. So she wanted to find ways to contribute. So I think it's important, man, if you got a kid to like get them out in the community with with exactly what you guys did with uh, the protests, with yeah, cleaning up the community, because that's I don't know, I feel like you're gonna raise a good quality kid, someone who's gonna just care more about what's going on in their local community. I know a couple families who. Um, they were just talking about uh, this is like a guy on my, on my men's team. Uh, he's just talking about how it was a tradition with him and his kids to like go and protest different things. That yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm just yeah, I'm really, it's that's awesome that you guys got to do that with Ella. And I think that being willing to change your mind in a way, you know, I've I I think I said on the last episode with TK Coleman, like I've never seen protests that have worked in our lifetime and Mm -hmm. i think that's going to be different with this with this one oh yeah and and the the scope of it's obviously different the the problem is the same but it's amplified Mm -hmm. and so while i still condemn looting i also still condemn the conditions that led to the looting Mm mm-hmm but I do think that maybe the protests are helpful. And so us going down there and holding up some signs to bring awareness. Mm-hmm. And the best awareness we can bring is to, if we have kids, our kids, but also we can uh, we can bring awareness to ourselves that our, ac- our individual actions change yeah. as well. So yes, anti- Ella is an anti-natalist. Um, she got over that pretty quickly, but I, I thought like I tried to explain antinatalism to her, and she was like, "Yeah, that's mm-hmm. I, I, I think it'd be better to not be born yet." I'm like, "Well, you have to understand, this is we're gonna have more crises, mm-hmm. and uh, here's here's how we get through this one." Yeah, you know David Freelander, Ryan. Yeah, he was in our first documentary. Yes, minimalism. Mm-hmm. He and his wife who have since gotten a divorce. And by the way, this is a Patreon only thing. So I don't would appreciate if you all don't discuss this outside of these four walls, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been fascinating to see a sort of de-evolution of, of him. He, and he got a divorce from his wife and 
it, it illustrated to me that you know fixing your life with minimalism, which he did, and um, he comes from a, a well-to-do background. Um, yeah. I, I, he has, um, uh, I think he comes from a wealthy family, basically, and also a, a aristocratic sort of uh, family from, from New York, and had an ideal marriage, an ideal living situation. Their house was absolutely gorgeous. Their mm-hmm. kids are beautiful. Uh, you saw the one kid, I think it was in the documentary. I don't know if we filmed the actual kid, but uh, then she was pregnant with the, the second kid, uh, Jacqueline was. Mm-hmm. And uh, they seemed like the ideal family, yeah. right? But there was a moment in the documentary you pointed out, Ryan. <laughs> I don't, man, I really hate talking about this. Uh, this is just for Patreon. No one, uh, yeah. we, we trust the people here. There was just a moment where Dave's talking and Jacqueline cuts him off. And the look on his face is like you could just tell he wants to like punch a hole in the wall Mm. and it's funny because like i yeah before we even found out about where their relationship ended up yeah like i had brought this up i'm like what like matt do you see this and he's like oh well yeah i guess but maybe you know maybe you're just interpreting it wrong right because it was so subtle very so but you know uh i don't know maybe yeah yeah exactly but yeah i don't know if it's because I'm a bit more empathic or yeah, I can just pick up on stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was pretty obvious to me. I'm like, Ooh, like they do not have the best relationship ever. No. Yeah. Um, they, I guess they didn't. And I think there's something to be said here about two wonderful people who don't always match, right? Yeah. That yeah. you can have two beautiful Lego pieces. They may not go together if they're from different brands. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and so uh, I think the same thing was, was true with them. And, this happens, by the way. You mm-hmm. people get divorced. You and I have been divorced, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, not from each other. I would never divorce you, Ryan. <laughs> we would graduate from each other. It's till death do us part. <laughs> <laughs> Your murder suicide is my favorite suicide. Oh, I know. Me too. So Anthony Jeselnik bit, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he say, he says, uh, <laughs> he say, doctor assisted the suicide. Get that weak shit out of here. <laughs> Teen suicide. Uh-uh. College is important. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah. So, well, you and I have both been divorced. They yeah. got divorced. But I have mm-hmm. I noticed Dave on social media about a year ago, maybe, maybe less. He started sort of acting out toward different people and uh, be, be in, in way? this kind of Tyler Durden-esque figure on social media. Oh. Yeah, he worked for, for, for Graham Hill. Remember Graham, yes, uh, yeah. who owned Life Edited and Tree Hugger? And yeah. he, he's, he's in our, docu- our uh, documentary Minimalism as well, where he, he has a 400-square-foot apartment that like sleeps seven and seats 12, yeah. and there's a theater, and because it's, it's very functional right? mm-hmm. and efficient. Mm-hmm. And so he worked with him, but... I think he became sort of disoriented with the whole thing. And I think what you learn from this is minimalism is a tool and it's a solution to a set of problems. Yes. It is not, however, the solution. Right. And nor have we ever pretended it was. <laughs> it's not going to be the ultimate solution to everything. It can tie back into things. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm trying to illustrate in the next book, by the way, uh, Love People Use Things, is that... Y- 
Yeah, I don't want you to lose the thread of minimalism, but it goes beyond just the stuff. Well, I think what minimalism does is if you are living in chaos, it helps you remove the chaos from your life. So you can actually focus on what is important. Right. And, you know, sometimes we bring chaos into our lives because we don't want to face the truth. Mm. And when you get all of that superfluous stuff out of the way, you have to hit the truth head on. And sometimes, yeah, it's messy. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to deal with, but yeah, minimalism doesn't make the truth different. It just amplifies the truth. Right. And sometimes the truth is expressed via different means. Fear is one of those. And Mm -hmm. often people say, how do I get rid of the fear? It's like, well, it depends. There are are a couple of types of fear, right? There, Mm -hmm. there, there's the fear that is a false fear. The, Mm -hmm. oh my God, the stock market dropped 1% today. What am I going to do? Uh yeah, I'm going to panic. Well, panic is a, a false fear yeah. most of the time. Yep. But then there are there's real fears. Like, I'm afraid of quitting my job. I'm afraid of skydiving. Okay, I think those are legitimate fears. Sure. What's the worst thing that could happen if I skydive? Well, I could plummet to my death. Or I could become paralyzed for life. Oh, well, maybe I should take this seriously. Mm. I should make sure I have a good parachute. Whatever, right? Maybe I should just not do it at all. And, and the same is true with you know, quitting your job. Well, what's my backup plan? Do I have enough money to start my own business? Or do I have another job lined up that's more in line with my values? Like This fear might actually dr- drive you in the right direction. And that can be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back to Dave. He, I saw him starting to lash out at people like Graham and just other people. He's lashing online. out at Graham. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like... And, and like, like what is last, like, what was he saying? What is his, what point is he, I mean, cause through all of that noise, there's gotta be some kind of point he's trying to drive. I don't know that that's true. I, I, okay. I think that hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And I think he was hurt. I think part of it is because of the, the way his marriage ended and mm. he's having a custody battle for his kids, which he was losing. And, mm. and I think has lost. I, I don't know the, the particulars about it, but he, mm. he, was very vocal. I, the only reason I mentioned it is it was public. It, he was very vocal about online. They're not letting me see my kids. And, oh, wow. And, um, and so I think he was hurt, and he was lashing out at people. Uh, we, we often, uh, there's a line, and love people use things. Misery encourages people to pull up a chair and stay a while. Yeah. And he was pulling up some chairs for people and, mm. and trying to bring them into his own, his own hurt. Was there some truth in some of the things he was saying? Maybe, I, I don't know. Yeah. And then eventually, I, I think I became a target of some of his lashing out. Mm. And, yeah. uh, you guys think you're just prophets. And 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 I, instead of, you know, I think my former self would have been very sort of dismissive mm-hmm. and very... Um, defensive. Mm-hmm. I felt those impulses still, but I said, hey, here's a, here's a guy I respect. Yeah. And while I don't agree with what he's saying necessarily, let me listen. And so this is probably six months or so ago. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, hey, man, it looks like you're going through some stuff right now. I totally understand that. I want you to know that I'm not giving up on you and I love you. Mm. And he's like, you stop this nice guy bullshit. And I'm like, hey, he's like, this act is, you know, whatever. I said, hey, man, it's not an act. Like, uh, I'm DMing you. This isn't public. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to, you know, look at me, look at me. Mm-hmm. 
I'm, I reached out to you specifically because I care and I, I can tell you're going through some stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really unfortunate. And he tried a few other things to like jab back at me. And eventually I'm just like, uh, and he actually said a few things. He's like, uh, he said something about, you know, listening more and, and you, you guys, you know, are, are preaching from a mountaintop or something. And I said, you know, there's probably, there's probably a little bit of that. And I could probably do a, a little bit of, I could do a better job listening. Sure. You're right about that. Yeah. And he was like, like it finally flipped for him. Mm. Like, oh, like this guy's actually open to having conversations yeah. and isn't trying to preach from a mountaintop. Mm-hmm. I've got some answers. I don't pretend I have all the answers. I have like 12 really good answers though. <laughs> I've lived a long life, a very hard life. Mm. Uh, growing up really poor, that was difficult. Becoming wildly successful in my 20s was difficult. Mm-hmm. Letting it all go in my 30s was difficult. Dealing with health problems over the last few years has been very difficult, right? Mm -hmm. And I've learned a lot through that experience. And I do find it valuable to share that with others. But it doesn't mean I have the answers. Mm. I have some answers. And I know on a long enough timeline, it's all ephemeral anyway, right? And so what I wanted to communicate with Dave is that, hey, man, I... I'm here if you need anything. Mm-hmm. And he and I just re- reconnected recently. And I think he's still going through some stuff. Um, I think he's like intentionally homeless, kind of like Colin Wright right mm, now, yeah. but like living out of a van sort of thing. He, by the way, he's really brilliant and like, yeah, college educated, urbanist, like really understands real estate development and, and the environment. And one of the smartest guys I've ever talked to. Mm-hmm. But I also think like he has, has, gone to a dark place in his life. Mm. And I bring all this up to say that minimalism isn't going to solve that necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if you think it is the answer to the problems. Right. But I do think it's a it's a tool in the toolbox. And I also wouldn't dismiss it. Even for someone like him. I noticed like he put up a video recently, even though he's off all social media now. I think he's been banned on a lot of it for being incendiary toward people. Oh, really? You yeah. get banned just for lashing out at people? Oh, yeah. I thought you got banned uh, for spreading like base... No, harassment. Like falsities. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you, wow. can, you can be banned for harassment. <clears throat> and and so I, I'm not... I don't want to completely give up on this person, even though we do have a question about you know, letting go of toxic relationships. He's someone that I think um, is a good person and I'm willing to try to, to help out right now and who knows I, I might get helped out in the process I might better understand how to deal with people who are going through this particular struggle mm-hmm. a, a person of relative privilege who you know had everything so to speak mm-hmm. had the the minimalist life the perfect house and perfect family but it wasn't perfect for him right and so I might be able to l- learn how to deal with that better going forward Mm. I talked to Erwin McManus and T.K. Coleman for our documentary, Less Is Now, about minimalism and poor people. And they both had really great answers about it. And hopefully it makes it into the final cut of the film. So I'm Mm -hmm. not going to talk about it now. But they both expressed why minimalism was a great tool, not just for the wealthy Mm -hmm. and the middle class, but also for people in poverty. Yeah. And it goes beyond the stuff. That, that That's all I'll really say at this point. Yeah. Well, that's a good, good lead into this question. Let's do it. From Ozzy. Is poverty the new minimalism? 
Now, there's something when I hear this a question like this, uh, it's it's it comes across to me as accusatory, and that says something about me mm. and what's going on inside of me. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Help me work through that real quick. Like, is this first off? Is this someone on Patreon? No, this is from Twitter. I just sent out a tweet. Yeah. Okay. From my personal Twitter. So account. yeah. So yeah. So that's makes sense that it's not from someone on Patreon. That, that someone, uh, someone from Twitter would this that makes a lot of sense to me. Okay, so my suspicion is true. Yeah, but Twitter's not all bad. But These what, are all no, questions no, no, from it's, Twitter. No, no, it's it's not all bad. It's just a matter of someone who's paying to hear this right now. Uh-huh. Don't, they don't seem like they would ask a question like that because they understand. They already know the answer to that question. Right. Th- this is again, it to me it comes across as an accusatory question. Well, let, let's talk about it. So, so someone's asking this question because they're confused. And so uh, here's the biggest thing I've learned from TK uh, when he's on our podcast. I think he's been on our podcast six times now. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, we've been friends. He and I have long conversations outside of the podcast as well. And the thing that I learned most from him is giving a charitable view even to someone who like like yeah. with, with with david literally lashing out at me and and, yeah. and saying some pretty insulting things i forget what question it was that you took that you're like tk help me have a charitable view like that was, i loved how you approached that man it made it inspired me to like start approaching things like that more but i see him do that every day and he just as every day when we have a conversation he will try to take the other side just a steel man his own argument. The opposite yeah. of a straw man argument is a steel man argument. Right. Build your own up by looking at the the best possible argument against your side. And so so if I'm if I'm going to steel man my own argument, let me let me talk about poverty here. This person is confused. They are conflating a few things here. They're conflating having nothing or next to nothing or deprivation mm-hmm. with minimalism. Mm-hmm. That's easy to do. And let me explain why it's easy to do. Often minimalism is propagated in, especially in the media, as owning nothing. Right. You look at someone like you know, Marie Kondo. Is, you know, I sent you a funny meme recently. She's like holding a gun and says, you, you no that. longer spark joy, goodbye. Does she ever even use the word minimalism? I don't think she does. I, I don't, but it's... it's I, I don't know. Um, well, she... There's also translation errors, right? Because so she doesn't speak English. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'm sure she speaks more English words than I speak uh, Japanese words, yeah. but she's not fluent in English, and so we have these translation errors as well. When mm-hmm. when she talks about sparking joy, whoever translated that um, really meant sparking happiness, right? Right. Uh, joy comes only from our interaction with others, and, and I have it's my favorite part in the new book mm-hmm. is where I, I I really go through and and dissect the well-being continuum. Yeah. And and we talk about tranquility and equanimity and we we talk about pleasure and happiness and contentment and joy and the difference between those things. Mm-hmm. And and I think that when when we're ta- we think of minimalism at its extreme it appears that it's owning nothing. And so you it's easy to confuse, well, if you own nothing then that's the same thing as a poor person, right? Mm-hmm. It's absolutely wrong, by the way. You and I grew up really poor. We owned way more stuff when we were really poor than, we're, than we did now. Oh, yeah. Because we weren't intentional. Right. Now, we were 
really, really poor. I mean, yeah. about as poor as you can get in America, we were. And the thing about being poor, too, is when something is offered for free, you take it. Because you don't have to, but you often do. Yeah, because it's it's like, oh, well, I don't have the money to buy that certain thing, and I may not need that thing, right. but I might need it in the future. So there's this sense of scarcity, and if something is offered to you for free, like we would jump on it. I mean, dude, every single piece of furniture that my mother had growing up, it was out of the trash. Mm. Every single piece. Yeah, someone puts it on the curb and you go get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we did very similar things or, or Goodwill mm-hmm. um, at, at best or thrift shop, whatever. And and so I could see why you would conflate that. And, and I'm sorry that you conflate, conflated it that way. And so let me do a, good, a better job of explaining that minimalism is about the intentional use of our resources. It starts with the stuff, but then it goes so far beyond the stuff. It's about being intentional with the people we bring into our lives mm-hmm. and the people we keep in our life. And we'll, we'll dive more into that in a moment. It's about being intentional with our creativity mm-hmm. and how we spend our time. We spend our time. It's, it's so funny, Ryan. If we were to, we, we often will, will, will get very concerned about, well, I couldn't possibly, the patrons know how much their time is worth. Yeah. Because they're, you're spending $2 on this conversation, or $5 if you're one of the true fans, right? Or $8 if you're one of the VIPs. And, and thank you no matter what level you're at there. Amen. But the, the thing that you understand is that your time is, is worth it. We don't fill our podcast with ads. And you're buying a ad-free version of the podcast. And not only are you doing that, you're supplying the people who can't afford the $2 an ad-free version as well. Yeah. So you're going you're you're actually providing a community service to the hundreds of thousands of people who listen to our podcast. 1 to 3 million downloads a month. You're you're su- you're supplying you know you're the 1% of people who are supplying a community service to the other 99%. And and you're actually giving them some of their time back. Yeah. You're being ultra considerate and isn't that what we're talking about, minimalism? Being considerate with the resources you have, including your time, your money, your community. And if you're being intentional, it doesn't mean, by the way, you don't have to have a certain amount of money to be intentional with all of your resources. Money is one resource. By the way, wouldn't it make more sense if you have very little money? I left the corporate world, Ryan, mm-hmm. 2011. I made $23,000 that year. The year before that, I made about just almost $200,000. Right. I was still broke. I spent more than $200,000. Oh, yeah. You didn't, it's not like you walked away and had $100,000 sitting in. No, I had $16,000 when I walked away. Yeah. Um, That was because, yeah. Yeah. I I got a severance package. Right. Yeah. I negotiated a severance package. And then, oh, by the way, you had a huge unexpected tax bill you had to pay. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Yes. And and so um, I had enough money for about. When it was all said and done, about four months of paying rent and my bills, and so I, I had some time to figure it all out, right? right. Um, and and that was that was great, but it wasn't nearly what I, if I would have been responsible with those resources those mm-hmm. that, that that decade, I would have had years worth of a yeah, I would have had years worth of a, of a of a safety net. And by the way, if the first twenty years of my life when I was also broke, wouldn't I have benefited? Wouldn't my, my mom benefited, our family benefited from being more intentional with the few, with the little bit of money mm-hmm. that we had? Wouldn't we have benefited from being more intentional 
with using our time, mm-hmm. using our time deliberately, wouldn't we have benefited from being more creative and, and, and using our time to create rather than consume? We wouldn't, wouldn't we have benefited from surrounding ourselves with people who shared our values, not just our proximity. Yeah. If we were more intentional with the people in our life, wouldn't we have benefited from that? There was one area my mom was very intentional in her life with, and it was with community. She did a phenomenal job, and I write about this in Love People Use Things. She, every year, this is just one example, but she would, she, she would organize this annual Thanksgiving dinner. Mm-hmm. And sometimes she would feed people who weren't even as poor as us. Mm-hmm. But in, the way she organized, she got grocery stores to donate turkeys and this grocery store to donate potato salad and this uh, 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 seamstress to donate napkins and, and, and you know cutlery or whatever. And like the whole community would come together. And we had it in the basement of this church on Warren Street. And it every year it, we, we would have this 200, 300 people show up to this thing. Mm-hmm. Some people had more money than us. Some people were homeless or near homeless and she would feed people for Thanksgiving and she did that all the time with these community things and so people knew her in the community even though we didn't have any money she was very intentional with that resource I know we're supposed to love people and use things but I love potato salad (laughs) (laughs) I I love me some potato salad Dave had this idea I'm drooling right now thinking about potato salad Dave who? uh, uh, La Tulip. Oh. He, he uh, our, our book designer, our website designer, he's yeah. the minimalist designer extraordinaire, the Mozart of design, yeah. Dave. He, um, he he designs all of our, our um, just ev- everything that we've done except our, our logo. I yeah. designed that. Yeah. Um, and his idea was we do, you know, the, the book cover to Love People Use Things, which we're getting an unprecedented amount of feedback on uh, allow it, we're allowed to, we've basically created the book cover for our publisher now mm. they never let authors i know best selling authors who have sold millions of books their publisher doesn't let them pick their their cover right um we went into this with a little bit more um negotiation room a little more leverage yeah yeah because we, we we don't need a publisher right we own our own publishing company right and and so dave had this idea of us doing t-shirts and bumper stickers and all this other stuff with these different phrases. So if you're listening to this on Patreon, I'd love to get some in here. So it's love people eat tacos or love people use computers or whatever it is, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so like there's something here about love people eat potato salad, use potato salad. <laughs> right. um, what, what is what, what is the one that works for you? And like we can have you know a dozen of these yeah. little slogans here that love people. What did, uh, what did Ella say at the beach? Love pizza? No, she said uh, love people like things is better. Um, yeah, but she said something about love pizza. Oh yeah, she yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, anyway. yeah love people. Lo- uh, yeah, yeah, like pizza or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah and maybe that's maybe that's it. Lo- love people like pizza is, right. um, is something in there. Um, and so yeah. So we're gonna do bumper ideas. stickers and t-shirts is what I'm hearing you say. I think we're definitely gonna do love people use things bumper stickers. <laughs> oh my god, what that is? No, that makes sense. That adds value. I can see that. No, it's just there's something. That is obviously ironic about putting out bumper stickers, but well, how so? I, I disagree. Well, because it's not necessary. However, it's just like a T-shirt. Really, 
technically isn't necessary owning more than five t-shirts it's just there's something that is uh that will get called out but i mean we get called out on all the oh yeah, so yeah you don't sell a minimal amount of books you don't have a minimal amount of people show up again, at your events again let's not parody those people let's give a charitable viewpoint to, yeah. to, to that so is it necessary it depends what you mean by necessary right mm-hmm. are we saying is it essential Probably not. A mm-hmm. bumper sticker, certainly no. Right. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite jokes is from Gerard Carmichael. Um, I don't necessarily agree with it. I think it's funny. He goes, hey, I just want you to know if you have a bumper sticker, we could never be friends. Um, <laughs> right. And yeah. what he really means by that is like you're so passionate about a particular cause. Like, yeah, but someone I, I'm tr- not passionate about it. But someone trying to spread the message of love people use things. Yes. Like, yeah. No, I. you're right. I would rather have that message spread than be like, well... People are going to judge us for having bumper stickers. Yeah, it, and, but let's let's so let's again. I, I'm I'm trying my charitable muscle out here, right? Mm-hmm. My yeah. this is this is compassion. Yeah, teach me. And, well, I, I'm saying l- let's say so the the t-shirt thing as, as an example. One could actually argue that that fits into the essential category. Yeah. I would never point. wear a t-shirt with a logo on it, even if it was our own logo, though. Right, right. I I would wear our own, but I understand why you wouldn't. I, yeah. I agree with you. I wouldn't wear one. Mainly because I just look like it. Like black t-shirts are the best. Anything else does not look as good on me. I, that, I think that's fair. Uh, I wouldn't wear. I would wear a t-shirt with a saying, not with a brand logo, right? Sure. And so, uh, I'm, you're not going to see me wear a shirt that says Coca-Cola on it or something. Right. Uh, they could literally offer to pay. Well, I don't know. It's weird. Uh, even then, I, I, I question, like, they, if they offered to pay a, a million dollars... To wear the Coca-Cola shirt. I wouldn't wear a Coca-Cola one just because I think it, it, it's uh, one of the biggest problems is uh, insulin resistance and obesity, et cetera. <laughs> but, How about a diet Coca-Cola shirt? No. Uh, <laughs> let's say it was Toyota. I drive a Toyota. Yeah. And Toyota was like, I'll give you a million dollars to wear our shirt. Mm. Of course I would. You mm. know why? Because I could do some amazing stuff with a million dollars. Whether it's building a, a yeah. grocery store in a food desert, et cetera. Um, yeah, we, we've worked on a lot of things. And, and I would probably feel... I. I'd probably feel an obligation to donate all of that money because I think advertisements suck. Mm-hmm. But if uh, th- there are a few, there are a few exceptions to that, and and I'm always open to seeing the other side, right? I think the other the other good use. Someone mentioned this on Patreon recently. Good use of advertising. We talked to TK when he went over to South Africa, and he realized like, oh, there are a lot of black faces in the advertisements there, and mm-hmm. it, it was normalizing, right? Blackness. Well, because it's a normal thing in, in South Africa here. It shouldn't be abnormal. You know, 13% of the population in America is black. Mm -hmm. And especially when you go to places like Dayton, Ohio, where 45% of the, the population is black. Yeah. It should be far more normalized. We should see more of that. So in a way, like if one of the good things that could come out of advertising out of all of this is we start seeing more diversity in advertisements Not that we want to just insert diversity for the sake of diversity, but why don't the advertisements look more like the community in which you're advertising? Right. If you have a billboard in Dayton, shouldn't half the people want it be black if half the people who live there are black? Right. I, that, that just makes sense to me. Right. I tried to do that, um, and I failed quite often, but I, I, I did by far the best job at our telecom company uh, where anywhere from 30 to 45% of our staff at a time was was black. Mm-hmm. Um or minority, and while I never lived up to the exact number, I tried to get very close. When you looked at the other regions and it was zero or 7%, you, you started to realize like, oh, mm. there's not even any intention going into this, right? right? Um, 
and it just made sense to me. Like, wouldn't you want that to mirror the community? Right. And I've been having conversations with the Weavers. You know, we own a coffee shop down in St. Petersburg, Florida. Mm-hmm. St. Petersburg's twenty five percent black. Why isn't why isn't our staff twenty five? Why doesn't twenty five percent of our staff look like the rest of the community? Mm. That's a problem, yeah. right? Half of the the community is are, are women. Mm-hmm. Well, half of our staff is women. That that's great. Mm-hmm. But why isn't a quarter of the staff black? Yeah. Well, oh, I, it's a question that he hadn't really been asked before. Yeah. And I could have done a better job asking that that previously. And so I am working hard to ask these quite difficult questions and being charitable to to this kind of cr- criticism or feedback. And so yeah, if someone comes comes to me and says bumper stickers aren't essential, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. But will it add value? Hell yeah, I think. Yeah. I think I love people use things. Bumper sticker would add value. And it's not to sell a book. It's not it, it, and. By the way, this isn't my idea. This is Rob Bell's idea. Mm. He, remember the Love Wins bumper stickers? Yeah. Those things were everywhere, <clears throat> even before his book came out, yeah. right? His church was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I'm seeing Love Wins bumper stickers all over Ohio in like 2008, 2009, whenever it was, yeah. way before he even had a book called Love or uh, Love Wins. Yeah. He, he had all these bumper stickers out there. It's funny. I wouldn't wear a shirt, but I would totally have a bumper sticker. I would do the opposite. I would never have a bumper sticker, <laughs> but I would wear the shirt. Uh, but that's my OCD, right? Yeah, you, yeah. You saw my key ring today that I, oh, I yeah. handed to you. Dude, I had my... Um, you borrowed the Corolla for something. I think it was when you went on tour with Asymmetrical. And like there was the Indiana Westland from where I graduated <laughs> that I had... <laughs> <laughs> you were like, fuck this. <laughs> I like found it all. Cr- when I sold the Corolla, I found it all crumpled up like where the spare tire was. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit. I didn't even realize Josh took that off. <laughs> I also like reorganized your glove compartment. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah the, I mean, here, here's, here's the thing. It's, it's our own proclivities. And while, by the way, the love people use things bumper sticker would be the only one I would ever consider having on sure. my car mm-hmm. because it's something that that we came up with. Even that idea is not completely original. We got to right? make it where it goes on the like where you can take either magnetic or you can put it on the window and it comes on and no, off. No, it's permanent. I would not do like a like one with glue on it. By the way, have you seen the tattoos? That I mean, I mean, you obviously saw the one in uh, Salt Lake City. I've seen a bunch of like minimalism uh, uh, symbols or like the minus sign, yeah, yeah. The minus sign, yeah. Um, the subtract sign, yeah. yeah um, yeah, the I've seen more and more of the. Uh, we got to do something for the people who have the love. People use things tattoos. Oh, like, we, obviously they got to get a copy of the book for. I free. didn't realize people got that. I mean, tattoo. You, you saw the one in. You were there at the event, the last oh, event we ever did. Love people so, use things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I've just been seeing awesome. more of these pop up on social. Actually, if you go to the minimalist, <laughs> go to the minimalist dot com slash press if you want to see. Uh, the, I, I put one picture of the tattoo. This is the gal from Salt Lake City. Who, um, That's right. Yeah, hers was the best. The, the best done that I've seen. It looked really good. It was very subtle. It was right there mm-hmm. on her forearm as as a great reminder. Yeah. And if I were to ever get a tattoo, uh, I think that would be the one I would get. Yeah. Um, I'm not getting a tattoo until I have a six pack. <laughs> of, of what? <laughs> of abs. <laughs> you know where I can pick that up? <laughs> Ryan is not going to get six pack abs. He's going to get a six pack of abs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, oh, all right. Shit. Uh, so, so oh. we, we we've covered the poverty thing, yeah. and, and like I said, I think you're confused. We had, we're <laughs> going to address this hopefully even more. And and by the way, it's not just me and Ryan uh, to you know, 
normal white guys from the Midwest uh, who people see us as as well off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we are now. We're well off because we live intentionally. We're not yeah. well off because we're rich. Um, <laughs> we're well off because we don't have debt. Exactly. And the, the new American dream. And what's messed up, man, is I thought I needed to be a millionaire to live debt free. Mm. It costs so much less than that. Yeah. So much less. By the way, most millionaires um, have debt. Have debt. Yeah. Uh, actually, that, that may not be true. Uh, ooh, uh, it depends on what we mean by millionaire. Well, Mil- million dollar got- net worth. Uh, mm. What is it? This is a, a Chris Hogan stat. And I know because I read his, reread his book recently for our book. I think it's, this might be wrong. 63% of millionaires did not use debt to get what they have. Mm. And so, but you have to think your average millionaire is the millionaire next door. Your th- top yeah. three professions of millionaires don't make six figures a year. Uh, engineers, Teachers and accountants. Mm. Those are the top three millionaire professions. You don't make six figures. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm just oh. saying they're the top three millionaires. <clears throat> oh, wow. And on average, they don't make six figures a oh, year. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, dude, just speaking of like the, the, the idioms we have and uh, yeah, the logos. I was so upset when I saw that meme where it was like, you can change the people around you. Or you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. And then it had it quoted as unknown. And at <laughs> first, I thought you changed your name. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that Jordan? Jordan uh, unknown more? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I. Yeah. I was like, God, I was like, damn it, they know exactly who said that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. How are you gonna put unknown? By yeah. the way, can't you just type into Google? Oh my goodness! If yeah. you Google, you can't change the people around you. I'm pretty sure it's the good. first. 20 entries are going to be from us yeah um yeah. And, and by the way anyway. that i uh yeah let's let, we've got a bunch more questions here and we're already over on time oh, we man. could stop right now should we Actually, do lightning round should or we, we save do? these for ask the minimalist anything later this month yeah we let's, have save so, them. let's save them we, I, ha- we have th- so many good questions this is a this was a good hour and what 10 minutes now spent more uh, than that because we were recording before that yeah all right maybe, yeah, let's, maybe let's end on, let's end on one more question here and okay. then i can cross it out all right what, what, which one makes the most sense here? Let's, uh, uh, oh, I like, I like Paul's question. And then we'll do Ask the Minimalists oh, yeah. anything okay. for the rest of these questions because we have some really, really good questions here. Um, but Paul, we could spend another half hour, hour on these. And we're already over on time. I want to be respectful of people's time. So uh, Paul wrote in, I lost my job to the virus. So I opened a store to see if anyone would bite. Shockingly, in three days, I earned $500, my question. Wow. No matter what's happening, even with the stores closed, why do we have this obsessive need to spend? So so this is a, he's feeling this like uh, cognitive dissidence in, in a mm. way. And maybe it's not even cognitive dissidence. It's like a, it's a heartfelt dissidence, right? Yeah. Because he lost his job. So he started a business and he's like, wow, I made $500. And by the way, congratulations. That's I, awesome. He doesn't even say what kind of store it is. I'm wondering. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's dildos. <laughs> what? I just love that there's like. They're essential. There's a, <laughs> You should see my sex toy box. It's absurd. I just love. I had to clean it out, and you can't even donate these things, right? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, ju- yeah, that is, yeah, that's one thing you can't donate. Like you can, you gotta recycle it or throw it away. We to hide our sex. Just imagine you go to the recycling plant with a box of dildos. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, uh, I I'm just surprised that th- I feel like the dildo market is saturated. <laughs> Paul here found a way. Pun intended. <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> We are off the rails. Oh, uh, yes. All right. Maybe so, we shouldn't have done one more. But here, here's so the you thing. think Paul's feeling bad about contributing to this? Yeah, well, it's like this thing like, oh, look, I'm making money. But why do people want to spend all their money? Well, even right. when the stores are closed, yeah. we keep spending our money. Mm-hmm. And and so here, here's what I'll say, Paul. Um, we need to We need to sort of bifurcate the question. No matter what's happening, even with the stores closed, why do we have this obsessive need to spend? Well, we have a need to spend. We it, need. There's still things we need. Right. We don't live in a barter economy, mm-hmm. in which some some economists would actually tell you that we used to, but I think it's one of the biggest things that Adam Smith got wrong, and it's been mm-hmm. kind of proven wrong now. We never really lived in a barter economy, hmm. by and large. Maybe there were some tribes who did individually. Right. But like... Because we always think, well, if I needed a a cow, I could trade you my um, three chickens for one cow or whatever, right? Right. No. What happens if you didn't need chickens? There was always some sort of monetary in between. It could be gold or precious stones or whatever, or wheat, grains, whatever it was. They used to be used as a currency. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so there was some sort of uh, thing that everyone had as commonly accepted that you could trade, Mm -hmm. and and so. We all need some stuff. And right now we decide that money is the best way for us to trade our time to earn and then spend that on the things we need or the things we think we need. Mm. So that goes back to what is essential, what is non-essential, and what is junk. And so if you mean by this question, Paul, why do we have this obsessive need to spend money on junk? Well, that has a lot. That's a expansive question. I think fundamentally it has something to do with our tendencies to hoard uh, because of scarcity mm-hmm. and then I think it's really exacerbated by advertising yeah I think advertising totally is one agree. of the greatest problems that we barely ever talk about mm. and I hope to make a documentary about it someday because I think advertisements suck I do think there are probably some good uses for advertising I'd like to figure those out I'd like to flesh them out but I'd also like to get really clear on that a lot of our world is broken right now mm-hmm. because of the advertising model. Well, yeah, it inserts this need into your life that isn't necessarily a need. And yeah. I mean, for someone who's buying junk, there is something much deeper going on than I than I believe scarcity. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe it is, is as deep as scarcity, but... Uh, if someone is just going and buying things for the sake of it, it's, it is a... It's a pacifier. It is a, it's a form of uh, of passive, a passive use of your time and yeah. money, for, for that matter. Um, Do you want what you want, or did someone else tell you to want it? Yeah, and that's the question you have to ask. I mean, that, that's a, a minimal maximum of hours. Do you want what you want, or did someone else tell you to want it? But most of the things that we think we want are mimetic wants. Mm-hmm. They're wants of the community. I might want a BMW mm-hmm. because I see one driving down the road. And, but there's nothing wrong with owning a BMW. The question is, why do I want it? Yeah. Is it because some other person told me I want it? You know, for me, I think the, uh, the most beautiful car is a 1992 Range Rover mm-hmm. uh, town and country. If you buy one, then you got to buy two. 
<laughs> Why? More because, for you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we could be twinning. No, dude, because this is, like, aren't, don't they break down all the time? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. So, like, you need to have one in the shop and one that you drive around and, like, constantly right. swap them out. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's a work of art. Yeah. But I also don't need to own that piece of art. Right. I think it's truly beautiful, but it's not very functional, right? Mm. I like to blend my utility with beauty. Mm. And so the Toyota I own right now, I find it to be beautiful. And I think it's also very functional. Mm-hmm. And I look at, you know, Teslas. I can't afford to pay cash for a Tesla. I would own one if I had unlimited resources, probably. Sure. But uh, I, because I can't afford to pay cash for a Tesla, I'm not going to buy it. But I think that is even more functional than what I have right now. Mm-hmm. And it's even more beautiful than what I have right now. Mm-hmm. But I'm not willing to pay the, the costs, the, yeah. the upfront cost and the additional costs as well. Yeah. So, uh, yes, we need to think about what we want. And, and yes, or maybe if, if you are feeling some guilt here, Paul, you have to ask yourself, is what I'm doing adding value to other people's lives or am I creating a false desire for something that someone doesn't want or something that is not adding value to their lives? Mm-hmm. And if you are doing that, then you're part of the problem. If not, though, if you've created a business that adds value to other people's lives? Isn't that what, when Jessica tweeted us the other day, she's like, hey, I started this blog, and uh, different Jessica, uh, not not our Jessica, yeah. Jessica from the high school we went to. Yeah. And she started this blog, it's like a family mommy blog, and I'm like, good for you. And she's like, tell me about monetizing. Like, What's the next step in monetizing my blog? And I'm like, and also uh, marketing my blog. Yeah. And I said, thankfully, the answer to your question, to both questions is the same, add value. Right. If you do that, you will market it yourself. Because here's why. Why did the minimalist grow? Because we started adding value. We had a great marketing plan. We did. Add value. <laughs> right. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's the best marketing plan. Yeah. Because why? Because if I add value to your life, you're much more likely to share it with someone you care about. Mm. And our best social media platform is our email list. Because if we send something out that adds value to someone, they forward it to their sister or their aunt or their brother brother or cousin or mm-hmm. father or mother or daughter. And when they send it out to those people, they're much more likely to act upon it than if they were just to share it on Facebook. Then it gets lost in the noise. But if you share something with me, something directly, I'm like, oh, Ryan really got value from this. So mm-hmm. if you send me an album, hey, check this out. Ryan must really like that. If you just oh. post it on Twitter, Ryan, I might stumble across it. I might not. And so if you're adding enough value, eventually the money will show up. It almost has to by by definition because people are eager to support what you're doing. Well, yeah. I mean, people will start asking you for more. And yeah. And ultimately, if if you're doing good work, people want to support you. They, they I mean, it's just like Patreon's a great example of that, man. For sure. I mean, it's it's people going out of their way to support us because they do find value in it. So um, much so that we're going to cap our Patreon at, at 6,000 people, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's enough for us right now. Now, will that change in the future? I, I don't know. If, if enough changes, if we needed to hire, I don't know, someone to do editing or we needed to hire someone else to do something else, then maybe enough will change, right? Yeah. But I think it's also important. And maybe that's the other thing. That's what we leave you with here because I think it applies to Paul's business. But I also think it applies to everything we're talking about here today. Mm. And, and that is, what is enough? Mm-hmm. And you have to answer that for you because your enough might be too much for me and it might be too little 
for Sean. Yeah. And and so it's so highly individual, but also enough changes as your life progresses. Enough might your enough today might be too much later, or it might not be enough if your family expands mm. or your geography changes or your job or hobbies change. And so being willing to change your enough is something that is important as well. Now, Ryan, we told the minimal episode we would talk about a few other things here. So let me just make sure we didn't miss anything here. We talked about poverty. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about isolation a little bit. So I think that's good. What new home, workplace, and digital minimalism trends will we see in the future? I do want to cover that really briefly. We talked about the minimalists. Um, we talked about people. Well, yeah, we talked about, about bad relationships. I talked about the thing with uh, with with Dave. That one's a bad relationship I was able to turn around. So let me just expand on that really quickly, Ryan. Maybe you can add something here. Sure. W- with him, I was able to sort of turn that around. And, and I did that through listening. And so I think it's good. Even if someone is lashing out, and mm. it was toxic. It really was. Yeah. I had every right to cut him out. And I still do, by the way. Sure. If, I, I reserve the right at any time to walk away. But I also reserve the right to not run away immediately and just pause and listen for a moment and Mm -hmm. say, is there anything right about what he's saying here? And if so, can I acknowledge that without saying, without, without giving credence to everything that he's saying now in this case, yes, there are other cases, certainly in my life, especially where physical abuse has, has been involved. I I dated someone who was physically abusive Mm -hmm. And um, that did not go well. I was you know, 29 at the time, and it was shortly after my marriage ended, and right as my corporate career was ending. And this person was, was physically abusive. And she, I walked away from that as soon as I, I, I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And that was the right move. And nor do I have any plans. I, I forgive her at this point. Mm-hmm. But remembering that forgiving someone doesn't mean that you have to follow someone. Right. And you don't have to let them follow you either. Mm-hmm. It's okay to forgive for yourself. In fact, I know we disagree with uh, Joanne Cacciatore on this, or at least I disagree with her. I think forgiveness is an important step. You know, there's an old cliche, you don't forgive for them, you forgive for yourself. But for me, forgiving is really the the, the step of letting go of that past, not clinging to the past and being able to move on beyond it. Now, just because you've moved on doesn't mean you have to move on with that person in your life. Mm. You can still be loving towards someone from a distance. Yeah, And so, Ryan... I don't think there's anyone during this pandemic that we've had to walk away from. Mm. But I think at times there will be, we're recognizing that, man, this pandemic has, might make a relationship toxic. Right. Or it might make even a relationship in idea, unideal, non-ideal. I'm thinking of the last four weeks for me. You know, I spent, I like to spend about 90% of my time alone, right? (laughs) Yeah. Extreme introvert. However, the last four weeks, I've had Baxanella mm-hmm. in the same house with me uh, the entire time, every night. And it was too much for me. Mm. And I, I continue to learn about myself. Mm-hmm. And Bax knows that even if we lived in the same city full time, so she splits her time between Montana and LA. I go back to Montana occasionally. She comes to LA quite a bit. And same with Ella, uh, Montana, LA. 
and we make it work for the reasons that you know, Ella's biological father is still in, in Montana. And so we, we make that work. However, let's say we both lived in Montana or both lived in Ohio or both lived in Florida or LA. Mm -hmm. I would still have to have a separate place to live. I know mm -hmm. that about myself. I can't be a full-time roommate to anyone. Yeah. Because I'm not the best version of myself. Distance brings me closer to Bex mm. and to Ella. And so uh, the way that I have, I've acknowledged that. And mm -hmm. it's, it's not a toxic relationship, but in order for that relationship to be the best relationship, we need to continue to acknowledge what is best for each of us so that we can be the best version of ourselves when we are there. And I've noticed times over the last four weeks where I've been viscerally unhappy, mm. but it's because I haven't had that time in solitude, that stillness, that, that alone time that I've needed to be the best version of myself. And, and Beck certainly saw that with me as well. And, you know, she's actually taken, we're taking a week apart from each other right now. Mm. And we do that with love. We still communicate with each other, yeah. but we're, we're physically apart and we need that time apart. So that when we come back together, that distance brings us closer together. For sure. There's something pithy there, Sean. Yeah. So you can do that. You can reevaluate re your relationships. And of course, you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. The best way to let go of toxic relationships, to distance yourself from them, is to introduce new relationships into your mm -hmm. life that are supportive and encouraging. And also, and this is important, challenging. Yeah. Your, yours and my relationship, it, it's challenging. We have a lot of different beliefs, sure. different preferences. And so we challenge each other, but in a way that's healthy, not nagging or nitpicking, any of that. Yeah. That's counterintuitive. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the ways to, to contribute to that. And finally, let's talk about new home, workplace, and digital minimalism trends that we'll see in the future. What is this neo-minimalism here? Um, we've talked about needing less already and, and maybe this, this pandemic is illustrated. You're spending so much time at home. You're like, I didn't even need the things I thought I needed. Right. Especially I spent all this time at home. I thought I would need more, but I actually need less. And so I do think that you're going to see some more people hoarding. We've already seen it now. Mm hmm toilet paper and all these other things and yeah. although it's funny to see pictures of people returning the stuff oh yeah it's funny though like people hoarding they're not <clears throat> they're not being intentional they're not using minimalism they're using fear and they're using a sense of scarcity to hoard things and I'll t i haven't seen one i mean there was that comic in the new yorker about like you know the guys in his room and like just shows like a chair and a table and his wife's like well sorry you decided to Get rid of all your stuff right before the pandemic. And it's like, and it's funny and it's satire, but like, that's not minimalism. No. And I have not heard legitimately one person who simplified their life who was like, you know, this minimalism thing really screwed me up for this pandemic. In fact, I've heard the exact opposite. Right. And the exact I, opposite. Several minimalists who have, uh, who I've talked to, whether it's uh, the amateurs that we, uh, interviewed for the documentary or whether it's uh, just friends who have been like, man, I'm so glad I decided to simplify before this pandemic. Right. And, and not, not just glad, but incredibly profoundly grateful thriving. Yeah. A profoundly grateful for getting the junk out of the way to reprioritize the good non-essentials that are adding value to your life 
and really understanding what is essential, which is mm-hmm. far less than what we what we think. And so, yes, yes, there will be some changes. There will be some people that hoard. Sure. There's going to be people who feel like, I need my bunker now, my prepper kit, or whatever. But guess what? I should have had 20 buckets of food. Yeah, right. Yeah. You got through this without that. Do you think you're going to need it next time now? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't. And if anything, I've realized that I need less than what I even thought I needed. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about workplace because a lot more people are working from home, Ryan. Mm-hmm. But is I, I don't know about you, but we're coming back into the studio now. We, we have this private studio. This is our studio, mm-hmm. but we're within a greater um, co-working space, right? So we, it's the best of both worlds for me. We have our, our own private space, mm-hmm. but then we have the co-working shared space. So we're able to share resources. Yeah. That's minimalism to me yeah. because we don't pay to have a, an empty conference room. That we're going to use it. There's 168 hours a week. Let's say we use it one or two hours a week. Mm-hmm. Why, why pay for it to sit empty the other 166 hours? Right. Someone else can use it during that time. Yeah. And so we share that resource. We have shared refrigerators here and coffee machines and, and, and desk space and a ping pong table. These are shared resources that we have yeah. that we share with other people. But you know, to be honest though, man, if we had homes in Los Angeles, uh, I'd build a studio in one of our houses and that's how we'd do it. And, and yeah, and, and what, because what, I think the home studio is probably the best way to go. Uh, we do, Yeah, we're not, can't really afford a house right now in LA, which is totally cool. Yeah. Um, who knows if, you know, if we're going to be here in the next five years, but, uh, but yeah, we, we have the best solution for our circumstances. But what I'll say is I know that there are going to be some companies who are like, why do I have this overhead of a building? Right. When I, I agree with that. Yeah. And so I, I think, in fact, you were already seeing that. So Twitter saying most of their people can work from home or whatever. Yeah. Let's say I worked for Twitter and it wasn't one of the minimalists, right? Mm-hmm. I would probably subscribe to a co-working space as a result, e- even then. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and, I can see that. And I, I don't know which ones are going to thrive and which ones are, you know, I think some of them will go out of business throughout all of this. But I think you're going to see a shift over toward that because... I do like the idea of the ambient people. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like the idea of like just working out of a coffee shop all day. That feels weird. And uh, but being able to have a co-working space where you pay to be there, you have access to you you're know, the Wi-Fi. For the quietness. Yeah, you're yeah. Yeah, and and, and the amenities yeah. and without and, and you're sharing these amenities. And so mm-hmm. I think you're going to see more and more people, even people who work for larger corporations, going toward that model. I've been dying to get back to a co-working space during all this because I don't like working from home. Mm. I like delineating because I like being able to say I'm going in to get the work done so I don't feel like I have to work from home. We used to talk about work-life balance, but when when you do both of the same things at the same desk, it starts to all blend together a little bit too much. I could see that. And, and so I prefer to have a space to go to say, I'm going to go work on that book mm-hmm. or I'm going to go work on editing that film or whatever it might be. And so I like having that space, whether it's a, your own separate office or it could even be a separate office in your house. I mean, that, yeah. that could be ideal too. Yeah, but man. having a separate thing, Seth Godin even does this. He, um, he does a, a tablet for, he has like a tablet for reading on like the news and browsing websites Mm -hmm. and then he doesn't do any of that on his actual work computer Mm. and so if he wants to browse something he knows physically he can feel he's doing something different because of the device he's using interesting yeah and and so 
I don't. I like to set up those. It's boundaries we we were talking about. It's it's yeah. setting up your own sort of boundaries. And with respect to digital minimalism, do I see anything happening different with digital minimalism? Yes, I. I think we're going to start questioning. I hope the the level of distraction in our lives. Mm. And I think a lot of us are have especially during a pandemic like as you're spending so much time at home. Yeah, it's the the Ronnie Chung, the Chang, joke. Um, Americans are you're, it looks like Americans are having a competition to see how many screens they can get between their face and a wall right and yeah. and it does feel that way because it's the difference between if you go to a movie theater it's all encompassing you have to be there at a certain time right yeah like the movie starts at 6.30 it's starting if you're there or not right if you have to go to the bathroom it's not stopping for you right you can't really be on your phone in the theater they'll probably kick you out if you're obnoxious they catch you. yeah. yeah and so it's all, it, but the benefits of that, you're almost paying the $17 or whatever it is to go see a film now. You're paying for the, to the limit, the, the distractions. Right. Because you could watch that same movie at home mm-hmm. and it's much more convenient. But man, it's so easy to, oh, just let me check this real quick on my phone and I can't believe they emailed me. I've been waiting for this email and pause the thing or I'm sorry, honey, I got to get rid of it. I'm going to use the bathroom and uh, let's grab a sandwich real quick or whatever. So what I'm hearing you say is that Netflix is going to have a category that basically says things that you can watch while being distracted on your phone. No, no, I mean, I think that is Netflix though, right? To to a great extent, right? right? Yeah, it is. Um, Because that's what we, that's what we do as a society. And so what we need to do is be able to set up our own boundaries. And Mm -hmm. I think the four-year rule, or if you're as fancy as Ryan, it's the four-yay rule. Um, (laughs) This is from our friend Cal Newport. Mm -hmm. Uh, Setting your phone in one place. I put it in my junk drawer. Uh, When I get home, it goes in the junk drawer and, and having one place for it there that... I can go over to it and I could check it whenever I want. But, and I, I really screw up on this, especially during the pandemic. I found myself, it was migrating around the house with me just because I was, you know, texting and I'm like, ah, I'm not going to, but the thing is having that rule, setting up that boundary, it limit, it adds some additional friction. So I don't, if I am watching better call Saul, I'm not interrupted by a text or a tweet or yeah. whatever. Right. I, I can be focused on the thing. And if we set up those boundaries that are appropriate to us, in fact, I, I can see myself after this, Ryan, and maybe, you know, scrolling is the new smoking. Hmm. Uh, maybe there's something there where we, you and I do a deep dive. And I don't know if we film it or we write about it or what, mm-hmm. but where we get off of our phones or we get off social media altogether or we get off uh, screens for a period of time. We do some radical experiments. Yeah to cut the core, to untether, and then we re-tether, re-anchor ourselves to the things that are most appropriate. Yeah. So I think we, uh, yes, digital minimalism will be about questioning. A lot of uh, these pacifiers that we've introduced into our lives over the last few months mm-hmm. or the last decade, really. Yeah. Man, all these new pacifiers didn't exist 15 years ago. Right. And it's about which ones are adding value, which ones are good for us, and which ones are just adding to the noise and adding to our misery? Can we get rid of those and keep the good stuff behind? I think that's what minimalism is ultimately about. Mm-hmm. All right, Joe. Love people use things. Thanks for your support. The minimalists. <laughs>